Part four, chapter eleven of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part four, chapter eleven, the last chapter. Goodbye to Fantipo. Mud faces landing on his new home was quite an occasion. The doctor paddled out alongside him till they reached the island. Until he set foot on it, John Doolittle himself had not realized what a large piece of ground it was. It was more than a quarter of a mile across. Round in shape, it rose gently from the shores to the flat center, which was a good hundred feet above the level of the lake. Mudface was tremendously pleased with it, climbing laboriously to the central plateau from where you could see great distances over the flat country around. He said he was sure his health would quickly improve in this drier air. Dab-Dab prepared a meal, the best she could in the circumstances, to celebrate what she called the turtle's housewarming, and everyone sat down to it and there was much gaiety, and the doctor was asked to make a speech in honor of the occasion. Cheapside was dreadfully afraid that Mudface would get up to make a speech in reply, and that it would last into the following day. But to the sparrow's relief, the doctor immediately he had finished set about preparations for his departure. He made up the six bottles of gout mixture and presented them to Mudface with instructions in how it should be taken. He told him that although he was closing up the post office for regular service, it would always be possible to get word to Puddleby. He would ask several birds of passage to stop here occasionally, and if the gout got any worse, he wanted Mudface to let him know by letter. The old turtle thanked him over and over again, and the parting was a very affecting one. When at last the goodbyes were all said, they got into the canoe and set out on the return journey. Reaching the mouth of the river at the southern end of the lake, they paused a moment before entering the mangrove swamps and looked back and there in the distance they could just see the shape of the old turtle standing on his new island watching them. They waved to him and pushed on. "'He looks just the same as we saw him the night we arrived,' said Dab-Dab. "'You remember? Like a statue on a pedestal against the sky.' "'Poor old fellow,' murmured the doctor. "'I do hope he will be all right. What a wonderful life! What a wonderful history!' "'Didn't I tell you, doctor,' said Cheapside, "'that it was going to be the longest story in the world? "'Took a day and half a night to tell.' "'Ah, but it's a story that nobody else could tell,' said John Doolittle. "'Good thing, too,' muttered the sparrow. "'It would never do if there was many of his kind spread around this busy world. "'Of course, myself, I don't believe a word of the yarn. "'I think he made it all up.' He had nothing else to do, sitting there in the mud, century after century, cogitating. The journey down through the jungle was completed without anything special happening. But when they reached the sea and turned the bow of the canoe westward, they came upon a very remarkable thing. It was an enormous hole in the beach, or rather a place where the beach had been taken away bodily. Speedy told the doctor that it was here that the birds had picked up the stones and sand on their way to Junganyika. They had literally carried acres of the seashore nearly a thousand miles inland. 
of course in a few months the action of the surf filled in the hole so that the place looked like the rest of the beach but that is why when many years later some learned geologists visited lake junganyika they said that the seashore gravel on an island there was a clear proof that the sea had once flowed through that neighborhood which was true in the days of the flood but the doctor was the only scientist who knew that mudface's island and the stones that made it had quite a different history on his arrival at the post office the doctor was given his usual warm reception by the king and dignitaries of fantipo who paddled out from the town to welcome him back tea was served at once and his majesty seemed so delighted at renewing this pleasant custom that john dolittle was loath to break the news to him that he must shortly resign from the foreign mail service and sail for england however while they were chatting on the veranda of the houseboat a fleet of quite large sailing vessels entered the harbor these were some of the new merchant craft of fantipo which plied regularly up and down the coast trading with other african countries the doctor pointed out to the king that mails intended for foreign lands could now be quite easily taken by these boats to the bigger ports on the coast where vessels from europe called every week from that the doctor went on to explain to the king that much as he loved fantipo and his people he had many things to attend to in england and must now be thinking of going home and of course as none of the natives could talk bird language the swallow mail would have to be replaced by the ordinary kind of post office the doctor found that his majesty was much more distressed at the prospect of losing his good white friend and his afternoon tea on the houseboat than at anything else which the change would bring but he saw that the doctor really felt he had to go and at length with tears falling into his teacup he gave permission for the postmaster-general of fantipo to resign great was the rejoicing among the doctor's pets and the patient swallows when the news got about that john dolittle was really going home at last gub-gub and jip could hardly wait while the last duties and ceremonies of closing the houseboat to the public and transferring the foreign mail service to the office in the town were performed dab-dab bustled cheerfully from morning to night while cheapside never ceased to chatter of the glories of london the comforts of a city life and all the things he was going to do as soon as he got back to his beloved native haunts there was no end to the complimentary ceremonies which the good king coco and his courtiers performed to honor the departing doctor for days and days previous to his sailing canoes came and went between the town and the houseboat bearing presents to show the goodwill of the fentippins during all this having to keep smiling the whole time the doctor got sadder and sadder at leaving his good friends and he was heartily glad when the hour came to pull up the anchor and put to sea people who have written the history of the kingdom of fantipo all devote several chapters to a mysterious white man who in a very short space of time made enormous improvements in the mail the communications the shipping the commerce the education and the general prosperity of the country indeed it was through john dolittle's quiet influence 
that King Coco's reign came to be looked upon as the golden age in Fantippan history. A wooden statue still stands in the marketplace to his memory. The excellent postal service continued after he left. The stamps with Coco's face on them were as various and as beautiful as ever. On the occasion of the first annual review of the Fantipo merchant fleet, a very fine two-shilling stamp was struck in commemoration, showing His Majesty inspecting his new ship through a lollipop quizzing glass. The king himself became a stamp collector, and his album was as good as a family photo album, containing as it did so many pictures of himself. The only awkward incident that happened in the record of the post office, which the doctor had done so much to improve, was when some ardent stamp collectors, wishing to make modern stamps rare, plotted to have the king assassinated in order that the current issues should go out of date. But the plot was happily discovered before any harm was done. Years afterwards the birds visiting Puddleby told the doctor that the king still had the flowers in the window-boxes of his old houseboat carefully tended and watered in his memory. His Majesty, they said, never gave up the fond hope that some day his good white friend would come back to Fantipo with his kindly smile, his instructive conversation, and his jolly tea-parties on the post-office veranda. End of Part 4, Chapter 11 End of Dr. Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting This book recorded by Phil Chenevere in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, January 2020